Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise all over the sanctuary. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated uh, in the presence of the Lord. So, uh, tonight, this is, uh, we're dealing with a topic that we've been dealing with all, all month, all January, uh, and that's this topic of prayer and fasting. Say prayer, prayer. And, fasting. and fasting. So it's prayer and fasting, it's fasting and prayer, and prayer, we've learned that prayer and fasting kind of go hand in hand. And so uh, we've learned all month in this vein, and, and so I have the opportunity to basically close us out for the month of January with a lesson on the power of prayer and fasting. And like I said, it is Bible study, so we're going to go through many scriptures tonight. The very first scripture is a scripture that I'm going to be putting in your hearing whenever I stand before you. For those of you that watch today's Word, you've been hearing it every day. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 25 from the Passion Translation. So I want you to get this down in your heart. I'm going to put this through your ear gate, get it down in your heart. The Bible says this is, for those of you that are watching online and you may not be aware, this is the scripture that we're standing on all year for 2024. The Bible says, set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignoring life's distractions. Say this, say, I ignore, I ignore. life's distractions. So what the scripture is telling us and what we've been decreeing and declaring over VCMI for this particular season is that we believe that God has a fixed purpose. God has a purpose that he already established for 2024, that God has been to the end of 2024, Isaiah 46 and 10. God decrees the end from the beginning. So God has been to our future already, and he reveals those things to us in time from eternity so that we can have insight, wisdom, revelation, knowledge, and understanding so that we can have an advantage as we walk out 2024 so that our feet will be bound to the path that we believe that he established from the foundations of the world. Say amen to that. In 2 Timothy 1 and 9, the Bible says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This, there are many, many scriptures that we have looked at, we'll continue to look at this year, that drive home the fact that we are predestined. Say predestined. English is a second language for me, Codell, so sometimes I have to like break down words, you know what I'm saying? So predestined, predestined, pre means before, destined means destination. So God set destination beforehand. So before I ever got started, before I left the house, before I started on the journey, God already set the destination. Ephesians 2 and 10 says that in Christ Jesus, God made me a new creation so that I could spend the remainder of my days doing the good works that God had before ordained for me to do. So there's some good works that God had already planned in advance for me to do, for you to do. Codell gets to sing. Tangie gets to sing. I don't get to sing. I guess I just get to preach. You know what I'm saying? But that's okay. I do what God has called me to do. You guys do what God has called you to do. When I first started preaching, man, I really wanted to sing. You know what I'm saying? Because I was in the Baptist church and, and the way that I was raised, you know, in ministry when I first started preaching, you, everybody would just hoop them on out. You know what I'm saying? And I, I couldn't take them home. You know, I mean, like they would do it. I couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? So I just have to stick where I am. You know, I just got to teach the way that God has taught me. God has given me the grace. One thing I did learn along the way, though, is that the anointing only flows through the authentic. And so I have to be authentically myself, and I can't imitate or copy anybody else. Say amen to that. Amen. All right, maybe I can go ahead and get started teaching now. So I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff tonight. I will get through whatever we get through. Uh, and if you know me, you could take notes if you want, or you could just watch the video. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I'm, I talk fast. I'm going to go through a lot of stuff. So, I mean, it's up to you if you want to take notes. All right, number one, I'm not even going to tell you how many points I have because I don't know how far I'm going to get. I always run out of time before I run out of word, though. You know what I'm saying? That, that's how I flow. All right, number one, 
understanding the true essence of prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6 from the easy to read version. And the reason why I read the easy to read version is because I'm from Brooklyn and it's easy to read. All right, Matthew 6 and 6, the Bible says, but when you pray, you should, you don't have to, but you should go into your room or your place, you know, that you've designated. We have a prayer room in our house. Close the door. Then pray to your father. He, he's there in that private place, and he can see that what is done in private, you will be rewarded openly. And so, so there's, there's this connotation that prayer should be intimate. Now, there's, there's an opportunity for public prayer, but there should be a level of intimacy with my relationship with God in prayer. Prayer is something that I should do in private. Prayer is intimate. I should be able to go to God in private and talk to him and receive insight from him and allow him to speak to me. And I also speak to him. And it should be a dialogue, not just a monologue. And the text says that what I do in private, God will reward me openly. I was just watching a video on Instagram not too uh, uh, earlier this afternoon about the number of shots that Steph Curry takes uh, uh, every day, like in practice. And so it's something like he takes 500 shots in practice before the game and something like 500 shots, maybe like after the game. And they did the math and he's been doing this for, for like 20 years or whatever. And so he's taken like 2 million shots in practice. He's only taken like 35,000 shots in a game. He's only made like 3,500 three-pointers in a game. So he's made like 0.02, a fraction of a point of all the shots that he's ever taken. The point is that we celebrate him in public for what he does in private. And so, so if you want to be celebrated in public, you have to first be a private success. And, 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 and so what you see out here openly is a, is a direct result of what you do privately. And so if you can't be a private success, you're not prepared for public ministry. God, oftentimes I see evidence in Scripture to where God prepares people in obscurity before he exposes them to public ministry. Come on, talk to me, David. Uh, yes, it is true that David it became an overnight success. It is true that he showed up with his brother's lunch and nobody knew David before that day. And it is true that he killed the giant with a slingshot and a stone. And all of a sudden, people started singing his name and calling out his name. He went from obscurity to public success in a moment. But what nobody wants to acknowledge is all that time that he spent out there by himself with God taking care of those sheep. He killed the lion. He killed the bear when nobody was watching. So he was ready to kill the giant when everybody was watching. I'm saying if you want to be a public success, you're going to have to spend some time in prayer. Don't come up in here talking my hey, pastor, I want to pray. Let me grab the mic. I want to pray in front of everybody when you never pray at home. You, you, the Bible says you go into your private place and you have this private time with God in prayer, this communication with the Father, and whatever you do in private will manifest in public. Say amen to that. Amen. amen. Number two, what is prayer? Prayer is not about, first of all, let's be clear, prayer is not about you telling God what to do. 
Like, like I remember, I re- I'm not going to name names, but I remember when I, when I was young in ministry and there was this whole thing about commanding your morning and commanding your day. And the Bible says, command me. And I was like, I, I don't know. That don't sound right to me. It, that sounds like the tail wagging the dog. You know what I'm saying? That's like, like it is God who has made us and not we ourselves. Like, how, who am I to tell God what to do? If I could command God, I would be God's God. I, obviously, I'm not. There's, I'm not that smart. There's two things I've learned, Wanda. One, there is a God. Two, I'm not him. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't get to tell him what to do. He tells me what to do. So prayer is not about me telling God what to do. Prayer is about me aligning with what God already assigned from the foundations of the world. What is prayer? Prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. I believe it was John Wesley that said, God does nothing on earth except in response to prayer. Has God ever woken you up in the middle of the night to pray? Raise your hand. All right, he has. Look, hands all over the building. Uh, All right, so here's the problem. Mel, the Bible says, he that watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So God doesn't sleep. I like to sleep. When I go to sleep, I sleep good. Isabella knows I don't mess around. When my head hits the pillow, I'm out. You know what I'm saying? She goes, why you sleep so hard? I need you to sleep lighter. Well, how can I sleep light? You know what I'm saying? If I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping. You know, I'm out. And so... And so, you know, when my head hits that pillow, I get sweet sleep. That's my confession, right? And so the Bible says, he that watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't need sleep. I need sleep. If I need sleep and I'm sleeping, why would God wake me up if prayer wasn't important? Why would God wake me up if he didn't need somebody on earth to pray? And so sometimes God will wake you up and you start interceding for somebody God will tell you to pray for. Sometimes you don't know who you're interceding for. You're just praying in tongues. But, but God is looking on earth for somebody to release, to come in agreement with him so that he could do what he wants to do. As a matter of fact, because God gave legal authority of the earth domain to humans, to, to speaking spirits in a flesh and blood body, when God wanted to operate on the earth and do whatever he wanted, he came as a human. And because that's the way that God, this is a system that God created. So prayer is earthly license for heavenly interference. Prayer is how the earth agrees with heaven. Prayer is how you invoke, that's what an invocation is, you invoke God's presence into any given situation. So when you're facing something, you should ask yourself the question, have I prayed about this? Say amen to that. All right, number three, why do we need to pray? Uh, um, uh, God has just given me uh, this, uh, Sharita, this memory, right? I have a, a good memory, a photographic memory. I, don't, I can't take no credit for it because, you know, I didn't work for it. <laughs> and so, but over 27 years ago, I was staying at my friend's house. I went to the bathroom and in the bathroom, he had a thing in the bathroom and it said the difference. And I was like, and it was about prayer. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so I read it and I memorized it. And so this is what it said on the wall. I got up one morning and I rushed right into the day because I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. So as the day went on, heavier came each task. I said, Lord, why don't you help me? (laughs) He said, son, you didn't ask. So hour upon hour, the day toiled on gray and bleak. I said, Lord Jesus, where are you? He said, son, you didn't seek. So finally, I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. I said, Lord, why don't you let me in? He said, son, you didn't knock. So I got up this morning and I paused before entering the day because I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. 
And that poem is called The Difference. And whenever I quote that poem, I say this, either you can allow your day to order your prayer, or you can allow your prayer to order your day. <laughs> so let me explain, right? So, so let's say, Ricky, you get up in the morning and you don't pray, you know? You just don't pray. And so you go into the day and you didn't pray, and now you get in the car and you're doing your thing and you got to go talk to somebody about a listing, and then you got an open house over here, and then you're driving here and there, and you're doing your thing, and you got your real estate, and you're putting some stuff on Facebook, and you got it going on, and all of this stuff, and boom, now something happens where it was unfavorable, and now you're in a restaurant, you're talking to somebody, you're so upset, you say, excuse me, you go to the bathroom to pray. Now your day is telling you what to pray about. Instead of you getting up in the morning and telling your day what kind of day it's going to be. Instead of you getting up in the morning and ordering your, your day with the Word of God, lifting up the day before the Lord, coming in agreement, lifting up every meeting, every conversation, every Zoom call, every phone call, everything I have to do today. Father, I'm giving this over to you. I have some stuff on the calendar. You're free to rearrange my calendar. You're free to give me divine appointments. You're free to give me divine assignments. I was on a, on a Zoom call with this person, business-related, corporate America, talking to a CEO. The first thing I did was I started ministering. Why? Because I was led to minister. And when we closed out the call, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? No, he was like, go ahead. I prayed for him. I prayed for his family. I'm saying you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, but that's not going to happen when you don't get up in the morning and pray first. Say amen to that. So, so prayer keeps you in tune or in alignment with God's assignment for your day and also for your life. If you want to set your gaze on the fixed purpose, you want to get up every morning and you want to pray. Say amen to that. Amen. God has given us as humans earthly license over the earth domain, and we have the authority. God says in Genesis 1 and 26, uh, we know the, the Genesis 1 and 26, we know 1 and 28, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Let me just pause right here for my sisters real quick. So, so male and female created he them. As a female, you have no less authority than a male in the spirit domain. A female has no less authority when it comes to casting out devils and demons, speaking with, with tongues, uh, uh, you know, operating in the spirit. Why? Because he made us male and female. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, he created us in his image and after his likeness. And the Bible says he gave them authority. So, so we have the authority. So what we have to do is exercise that authority. Matthew 16 and 16, Matthew 18 and 18 talks about binding and loosing. And, and the text is really what he's saying is we have the authority to bind whatever's bound in heaven. We have the authority to loose whatever's loose in heaven. Remember, we're not telling heaven what to do. Heaven is telling us what to do. But whatever's bound in heaven, we can bind it on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven, we can loosen on earth. So whatever we don't see in heaven, we shouldn't be seeing it here. If you don't see sickness in heaven, you can come against it here. You know what I'm saying? You don't see division in heaven, you can come against it here. Say amen to that. Amen. So when you pray and you're fasting and you're believing God, you should be persistent. Say, I am persistent in prayer. This is the way Jesus said it in Luke 18 and 1. Easy to read version. Jesus told his, his followers a story. He wanted to show them that they should always pray and never lose hope. Always pray 
and never give up. And then he went on to tell this story about this woman that had been done wrong. And she went to the judge and she was like, hey, Mr. Judge, I need you to right my wrong, right? And so, so she, can, she was persistent in her petitions. She never gave up on what she was believing God for. And eventually the judge righted her wrong. He, he, gave, he executed an order in her favor, but she didn't give up. She was persistent. When you're praying, watch this, you should pray as if it's already done, but you got to also pray with an understanding that God's timing is perfect. And so it may not happen when you want it because sometimes your, your watch of expectation is not in alignment with God's clock of manifestation. Let's be honest. There's many times where we've asked God for something and we want it and we want it now. And we didn't get it now because now was not the right time. And then when it finally happened, you go back and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for not giving it to me when I asked for it because your timing is always perfect. And so, so men aren't always to pray, but when you're praying, just know that it's only a matter of time. If God speaks to you, God is not a man. He, he can't lie. If he said it, he has to perform it. If he declared it, he has to make it good. But what you don't want to do is give up in the space between the promise and the performance. Because in the space between the promise and the performance, I told you before, the devil stirs up problems. In the space between the confession and the completion, the devil stirs up confusion. And so what you don't want to do is give up hope in that space. Say this, I will never give up. You pray, you believe God, you set your petition, and you believe that it's already done, and you are always to pray and never to give up. You have to be persistent in your prayer. You have to be steadfast in your prayer. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 that it is through faith and patience that we obtain the promises of God. It's not just faith, it's faith and patience. We have to add patience to our faith. We need both. We need the faith that can change the circumstance, and we need the, the patience that, that will give us staying power, right? Say this. Say, I have staying power. So we have to have staying power. We have to believe God. Number five, let's talk about the power of prayer in decision-making. How many of you know that in 2024, there's going to be some moments where you have to make critical decisions, right? You want to set your gaze on the path that is before you, and there will be moments critical moments where there are forks in the road and you have to either go left or you have to go right and you have to make the decision. So you want to make sure that you are making the right decision. Say, I make the right decision. James said it this way in James 1 and 5 from the easy to read version. Do any of you need wisdom? He's not saying, do you need knowledge? Okay, let me pause right here real quick on this, Sharita. So he said, when you pray, you can pray and ask for wisdom he didn't say you pray and ask God for knowledge. So knowledge is something you got to do. Wisdom is something he can give you. So what is knowledge? Knowledge is the accumulation of information. If God said, if you lack knowledge, just ask me for it. I could take my Bible, put it under my pillow and pray that by osmosis, God will put it in my heart. But that's not what he said. So I have to study the word. Now, you may be running a business. You may be in a career field where there's some knowledge that you require. So you need to study. You need to read. My children have an exam. They know how I roll. They say, Dad, can you pray for my test? Sure. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you bring all things back to their remembrance that they study. Right? 
If you were supposed to read chapter 12, you didn't read chapter 12, you asking for hocus pocus. You know, that's now, you know what I'm saying? That's not what, you, you're not asking for wisdom. You're asking for mercy at that point. You know what I'm saying? No, you're supposed to, no. So no, if any man lack, lacks wisdom. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying you come to Bible study. You guys are in Bible study. Good job. You come to Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, Tuesday night after Tuesday night. You get into the word for yourself. You grow, you develop, you read, you listen, you get all of this knowledge. Now that you have all this knowledge, Lord, I need wisdom. Okay, Lord, what's the wisdom? Now tell me what I'm supposed to do with all this stuff that I learned. I've been learning. I've been listening to audio books, Lord. I've been watching all this stuff on YouTube. I've been getting all this stuff down in my spirit. I've been getting so much word. We just have voice of the apostles, voice of the prophets. We had the women's conference. We had the men's conference. I got all this word. Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Now I need to know what to do. All right, James 1 and 5. Do any of you need wisdom? Okay, ask God for it. Sometimes we don't ask. James said, you have not because you ask not. Ask God. How am I asking? I'm asking in prayer. Ask God for it. He is generous. He enjoys giving it to you, and he will give you wisdom. Listen, God wants to give you the wisdom, but he wants you to ask for it. So now that you've accumulated all of this knowledge, Lord, I need you to tell me how to apply this in such a way it is the practical application of knowledge. That's wisdom. The practical application of knowledge. The Lord gives me insight so that I can have the practical application of knowledge so that I can grow in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm growing in discernment. I'm growing in every area. I know what to do and I know when to do it. I know when to go and I know when not to go. Why? Because I am operating with discernment and I'm operating with wisdom. Say amen to that. Number six, let's talk about fasting. Uh, it's an Old Testament thing and also it's a New Testament thing. Because some people say, well, Brother Pena, that's Old Testament. No, fasting is Old Testament and also New Testament. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 28 from the easy to read version, the Bible says Moses stayed there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat any food or drink any water. And Moses wrote the words of the agreement, the Ten Commandments, on tablets of stone. So when Moses got the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone, he, it was during a 40-day fast. Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2, as soon as Jesus was baptized by his cousin, right, Jesus shows up at the Jordan. His cousin is there. His cousin is like, I'm not worthy. You should be baptizing me. <laughs> he was like, hold on, cuz you need to go ahead and baptize me. So when he baptized him, the Trinity manifested. There was a voice. The son was there. There was a voice that came down from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested upon him. And the very first thing the Holy Spirit led Jesus to do was to go into the wilderness to be tempted and go on a 40-day fast. And so this was Old Testament, 40-day fast, New Testament, 40-day fast. Old Testament, Moses came down with the glory of the Lord all over his face. After a 40-day fast, he got the Ten Commandments. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The Bible says that he came out in the power of the Spirit Amen. after a 40-day fast. I'm saying fasting and prayer 
puts you in a position, Old Testament and New Testament, this is all throughout the Bible, fasting and prayer puts you in a position to where you can hear from God, you spend time with God, God, God puts His glory on you. When you come out, people will know that you have been with God. There was a level of glory that was so strong on Moses that he had to put a veil over his face. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, if you thought that glory was strong, the glory of the New Testament is even a greater glory. And so, so that was a veil. That was a glory that fades away. In the New Testament, we have a glory that does not fade away. But my point is that in both cases, they were fasting and they were praying and they came back in the power of God. Say amen to that. And so, so when you're fasting, another thing I want to point out is that when Jesus came out, when he was done fasting, God sent angels to minister to him. When you're fasting, not only are you ministering to God, but God will also minister to you. And so God will minister to you while you're ministering to him through a fast. And so obviously we just wrapped up our season of fasting for now, but we should live a fasted life. You should have your own time of fasting and prayer. While you're fasting, you're ministering to God. God will also minister to you. Say amen to that. Number seven, prayer and fasting position you to encounter God. Say, I want to encounter God. I want to have an encounter with God. I want to have encounters of the God kind, right? Mark chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 2, the Bible says, easy to read version. I think they're throwing, yeah, there's the scriptures up there. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up onto a high mountain. And there they were all alone. While the followers watched them, Jesus was changed. He was transfigured. He was transformed. His clothes became shining white, whiter than anyone on earth could make them. That's a whole nother level of white. Verse 4, then two men were there talking with Jesus, and the two men were Elijah and Moses. Peter said to Jesus, teacher, it's good that we are here. We will put three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say because he was always talking out of turn. Uh, uh, and so he was like, oh, let's just do a tabernacle. Let's do, you know, he was always just coming up with stuff uh, because he and the other two followers were so afraid. Then a cloud came over them and covered them, and a voice came down from the cloud and said, this is my son, the one, I'm lo- the one I love, obey him. And after that voice... The other two men were gone, and the one that was left was Jesus. It was just Jesus only. Here's my point. They went up into the mountainside, and they went up there to pray. They were not fasting. The Bible didn't say they were fasting, but they were praying. And there are these encounters that happen when you fast and pray. Now, one of the things I want to point out, I don't think is a coincidence, um, that the three men, well, one was Jesus, and the other two men that showed up next to Jesus— The other two men that stood up next to Jesus that were manifested, those men have been on a 40-day fast also. Elijah had been on a 40-day fast. Moses had been on a 40-day fast. Jesus had been on a 40-day fast. The three men that were glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, each of them had been on a 40-day fast. I'm not telling you to go on a 40-day fast. Matter of fact, I, I believe someone may be watching in Texas, a friend of mine, he's so excited. He just, and beautifully saved, just got saved. I've been mentoring him. He has a bunch of questions. I was going on a fast. He was like, what do I need to do for 40 days? I was like, slow down. What you need to do, what you need to do is slow down. That's what you need to do. 
what we ain't going to do is 40 days. That's what we ain't going to do right now. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what we ain't going to do. And so, so, so I'm not saying go on a 40-day fast, but what I am saying is that there's a certain level of glory that, that emanates when you have that type of commitment and walking with God. And people that have gone on a fast, and you got to be led by God to go on a fast that long, but people that have, they have these encounters with God. And so I'm saying like even this is New Covenant. This is in the New Testament. You want to have encounters with God. It's going to take sometimes a certain level of sacrifice. And it's not that the fast is changing God. The fast is changing you. The fast is positioning you to be able to hear from God and experience him on that level. Say amen to that. Then uh, number eight, the, the necessity of praying in alignment with God's will. Say this, when I pray, I have to pray in alignment with God's will. 1 John uh, 5, verses 14 and 15 from the Amplified, this is what the Bible says. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness, which we have in him. For we are sure that if we ask for anything, say anything. Oh, I love it when people say, I can ask for anything. Well, but Jesus said that in, Jesus, uh, in John 15 and 7. Jesus said, listen, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me, you dwell in me and my words abide in you and dwell in you, you can get to the point where what you want is what I want and what I want is what you want and your will is my will and my will is your will and there's no disconnect between my will and your will and all you want is what I want and all I want is what you want because we're all melded together. You have died to self, you yield to to me. And if you ever get to that point, you can ask for whatever you want because your will is already dead. You don't have a selfish desire. You've died to sin and self and selfishness. Now you can just ask for whatever you want. Say, I'm going to get to that point. All right. So he says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that we are sure that if we ask for anything, make any request in accordance with his will, in agreement with his own plan, then God listens to us. God hears us. And since we positively know that he listens to us in whatever we, we ask. We also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we already have it, that we have as our granted present possession the request that we made of him. So what am I saying? The Apostle John, and I love 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right, is different than the gospel according to St. John. The gospel according to St. John, John was a young man. He was actually one of the youngest disciples. So he was a young man when he wrote that. First, second, third John, he was Grandpa John. He was in his 90s on the Isle of Patmos. So there's a difference between a 90-year-old and a 20-year-old. Say big difference. So, so Grandpa John says, hey, boy, let me, come, come here. Let me tell you something. <laughs> he said, when you, when you pray, <laughs> let me tell you something, Jesse. He said, when you pray, you can ask for whatever you want. Just as long as it's what God wants. <laughs> you can ask for whatever you want, just as long as it's what God already planned for you to have. And if you ask for what God already planned for you to have, it's almost like you're praying to God the prayers he already prayed over you. And so what, it's almost like this, son. It's like you're praying back to God what he already prayed over you. And so what you're doing is you're actually going to him saying, Lord, I don't want anything but what you want. He's then flooding your eyes with light. 
so that you would know what he wants you to have. And then once you know what he wants you to have, he then says, now open up your mouth and ask for it. And I'm praying back to God what God already prayed over me. I'm asking God what God already told me is already mine. I'm only making a petition for something that I believe is already done. I will never ask for something. As a matter of fact, this revelation that he gave me, the revelation is the authorization for my faith. Until he tells me what he already gave me, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to pray. I don't need, I'm lost without it. So God flood my eyes with light. Ephesians 1 and 17, the apostle prayed, uh, apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or flooded with light so that you would know what is the hope of his calling for you and the exceeding great riches that he has in heavenly places in Christ Jesus towards usward who believe so that you would know what he already gave you from the foundations of the world so that you would know what his heartbeat is for this particular season for 2024 for you and your wife for your family so that you would know what is the harmony so that you would be asking in harmony in agreement in alignment with what God already gave you so now this is the confidence that we have in him that when I ask for anything that is in agreement with in alignment with his will I know he hears me and I know I already have it and I know it's only a matter of time now I also got to have the confidence to know that when I come out of my prayer closet it may not happen yet and when I come out of my prayer closet and I'm dealing with the people down here in this world, it's like this world, Pastor Tony told us years ago, is on delayed time. And so it may not, it may not manifest yet. It, it may, it's like they haven't caught up with it yet. But I know, they don't know, but I know, they don't know, but I know. And I have to live like I know. I have to live like it's already done. I have to live like I already have it. I have to, I'm acting like I already have it because for me, I already have it. And it's only a matter of time before it manifests in this world, say amen to that. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's how I'm supposed to pray. I'm, say this, say, I pray to God what he already prayed over me. Amen. Glory to God. That's how we know. That's how I know. I'm praying back to him what he already prayed over me. Say amen to that. Number nine, you can hear God's voice when you fast and you pray. You can hear God's voice when you fast, when you pray. Acts chapter 13, let me give you the context. Acts chapter 13, let me give you the context. So in Acts chapter 13, do you remember Barnabas? If there were no Barnabas, we would know no Saul. So uh, uh, Saul of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, uh, uh, Lisa, he was Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus to have Christians killed. And we know that God knocked him off his high horse. And, and God has a sense of humor. God sent him to straight street to get straight. Remember that? And so, so then God sent Ananias over there to tell him and all this stuff. And so when he got, the Lord said, you're going to preach to the Gentiles. So he got a calling, and, but he didn't understand that there's a calling in the preparation. So he tried to preach right away. They tried to kill him. And so then he went over to Jerusalem. He said, well, let me preach over there where the, where the uh, apostles are. And so he tried to preach with them. They had to lower him down the wall in a basket. They tried to kill him again. So he went, he said, forget it. The only one that stood in the gap though, for him though, Lisa, was Barnabas. Yeah. So later, um, the apostle Paul went back to, to Tarsus, to his hometown, and he was there for three years, dying to self, there for three years, learning the gospel, learning the word, being processed. Say, I must be processed. I must be processed. I must be processed to be able to carry the weight of the anointing associated with the assignment. So he was being processed. While he was being processed, Barnabas, 
was sent out by the apostles to minister in Antioch. And when they were out in Antioch, um, he was doing a great work in Antioch, and the, the church got so big that Barnabas took it upon himself to go find Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. And he traveled 70 kilometers from Antioch all the way to Tarsus in Syria. He picked up, he, he had to get to that town. There was no GPS back then. There was no internet. You know what I'm saying? There was no instant messenger. There was no WhatsApp, none of that. So he had to get to, to Tarsus, knock on doors. Anybody know Saul? Anybody know Paul? Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, he's down the street, around the corner. Find him, say, hey, man, there's a work going on in Antioch. Do you want to get in on it? He said, fine. They travel 70 kilometers back. They get to Antioch. They start ministering. The Bible says the power of God started moving so mightily that they were called Christians first in Antioch because of these two men. So we were, the word Christian or like Christ, that word came out of the ministry of Barnabas and Paul. And so it is in that context that one day they were fasting and praying. And they said, we need to seek the Lord concerning what to do next. I know we need to send people out. I know there's assignments that need to be done. How about we pray? And so they prayed. And while they were worshiping the, and fasting, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, while they were fasting, while they were praying, while they were worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to do the special work I have chosen them to do. So they, the Holy Spirit was saying, Saul has a work, Barnabas has a work, but right now in this season, there's a work I've called them both to do. I'm, I'm going to send them out as a team. And the Holy Spirit said this. So after they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul and then sent them off. So they needed a word from, from the Lord. They needed wisdom concerning what to do next. They fasted, they prayed, and the Holy Spirit spoke. And the Holy Spirit gave clear guidance, saying, I have separated, I've sanctified Barnabas and Saul for this particular assignment. They laid hands on them, and then they sent them out. Listen, there are times where you need to hear from God. It's not like the problem is with God. The problem is with, with us. So fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us. So what do we do? We can fast and pray. Say, I fast, I fast. And, I pray. and I pray. And when we do, God gives us divine direction. God gives us divine assignments. God tells us what he already commissioned for us to do. God, God clarifies what we're supposed to be doing. But it's not because we're changing God. Fasting just positions us to be able to hear him say amen to that. Amen. Number 10, uh, um, when, you, when you pray, it can be your avenue to experience God's peace, right? So I can experience supernatural peace when I pray. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, easy to read version. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. All right, let me just pause right here because this is a word for those that have been challenged with mental health. The Lord is saying, don't worry about anything. There's another scripture that says, it is vain to sit up, I'm about to help somebody, or step on your toes. It's vain to sit up late at night, eating the bread of sorrows. Oh, I can't go to sleep. Oh, I can't turn my mind off. Oh, baby, I don't know what to do. Oh, I can't go to sleep. Oh, why? Because I keep thinking about stuff. Oh, I, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? What are we going to do? No. Okay, let me, let me see what this Bible says. Hold on. 
Don't worry about anything. Come on, Bob Marley. Uh, uh, don't worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need. Always giving thanks for what you have, and because you belong to Christ Jesus, God's peace will stand guard all over you. He will stand guard over your thoughts and over your feeling, over your heart and over your mind. His peace can do this far better than our human minds. There's a supernatural peace. The text says, the connotation there says, for those of us that were military, that peace will pull guard duty. Peace, peace becomes our umpire. Peace will tell us what to do. Peace calms everything down. Peace will pull guard duty around my heart and around my mind. I have the peace of God. It's a supernatural peace. It passes all understanding. This is a peace that psychologists and psychiatrists, they can't figure it out. Why does he have peace? Why does she have peace? I know what he's going through. I know what she's going through, but it seems like she just is good. Why? Because there's a supernatural peace that comes from knowing I've already prayed about it. I've already cast my cares upon the Lord. It is vain for me to sit around worrying about stuff. No, because now I'm relying on me and I'm not relying on God. Either I believe God or I don't. Fasting and praying put me in a position to be able to trust God, believe God, rest in His promises, rest in His grace, rest in His power. Say amen to that. And this text talks about having this attitude of gratitude where I'm giving God praise all the time anyway. I'm so busy giving God praise, I don't have to, uh, anything to worry about. Say amen to that. Amen. Say fear, fear. Doubt, doubt, worry, worry. Unbelief, unbelief have no power over me. All right, number 11, the role of fasting in heightening your spiritual Sensitivity. Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, easy to read version. The Bible says, that kind of spirit does not go out except by and fasting. Apostle Cynthia dealt with this. Brandy dealt with this. A lot of us know this passage. So there was a, there was a young man uh, uh, who was, um, he was throwing himself into the fire. He was having these epileptic type of uh, uh, events and, and situations. And they, he brought him, the father brought him to the disciples and the disciples couldn't heal him. They tried, but they couldn't. And so the guy came to Jesus, Jesus healed them. And then later they was like, Lord, why couldn't we heal him? He said, because this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. When you are fasting and when you're praying, you develop a certain level of spiritual sensitivity to where you will know what to do and when to do it. Yeah, so to where you will be in tune with God. And this is why the disciples, out of all the things, they were with Jesus for over three years, three and a half years of ministry. And Florence, they never said, they never said, Jesus, could you teach us how to walk on water? Even though Peter walked on water. They never asked him for that. They never said, Jesus, could you teach us how to multiply fish and loaves? You know what I'm saying? If we can get a fish and loaves class you know, next Tuesday, you know what I'm saying? If we could just like, because last time we was doing it, I was popping a head off and another head would grow. I don't know if I was doing it right. You know what I'm saying? Can we get a class on how to do the fishes and the loaves? You know what I'm saying? They never asked for that. The only thing they ever said was, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Why did they ask that? Because they observed, they, they weren't crazy. They observed that Jesus would get up early in the morning. There's many scriptures. Jesus would get up early in the morning. The Bible says he would go off by himself to pray. He would spend time with the Father in prayer. And when he came back, 
he was like, oh, okay, I got my orders from headquarters. Hey, guys, this is what we're going to do today. I know that we normally go, this is Capernaum right here. This is Jerusalem right here. And so the easiest route to go from Capernaum, their ministry headquarters, to Jerusalem is to go straight through Samaria. They never went that way. They actually crossed over a river, went all around Samaria, and crossed over a river to go back because Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But one particular morning, Jesus went out to pray, and when he came back, he said, hey, guys, today, I know we don't go this route normally, but today, I know we've never been this way before, but today we must needs go through Samaria because I have an appointment with this woman at the well and I got my orders from headquarters. I got it in prayer. Another time he went over to pray, he came back. He said, hey guys, come here for a minute. I know you need you to go to this next town. When you get over there, there's going to be a donkey. I need you to grab that donkey and bring him over to me. If anybody asks you, you know, what's going on? You say the kingdom have need of that donkey. How did he know about the donkey? How did he know about the coin inside of the fish? How did he know about the woman at the well because he was praying. He got his orders from headquarters. So the disciples said, Lord, there's one thing, Jesus, we need you to teach us how to do. Before you leave this place, forget the fishes, forget the loaves, forget the walking on water. If you teach us this stuff, then everything else will just fall into place. Lord, teach us to pray. I need to be able to hear from God. I need to be able to get a download from another world. I need to get orders from headquarters. One time in Matthew chapter 16, that he was standing there, and the Bible says he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He gave them the answer to the test. You know what I'm saying? He said it was an open book test, and they missed it. He said, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they answered and said unto him, well, some say this, because there's always going to be some some says. Some say that thou art Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But Simon, the son of Jonah, said, hey, hey, uh, I know. What? What do you know? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you know what, Simon, son of Jonah? Flesh and blood reveal that unto you. You just got to a download from another world. My Father, which is in heaven, just spoke to you. They were saying, Lord, teach us to pray because we know that when you go to pray, you get a, a download. from a, You get in, wisdom. You get insight. You get revelation. You get knowledge. You get understanding. You know what's crazy? There are people in this world that call themselves Christians, and they think we're the crazy ones because we believe that we can hear from God. And they say, oh, God speaks to you. <laughs> And I'm like, well, God doesn't speak to you? I don't know what Bible you're reading, you know what I'm saying? If I, people in my family be like, oh, he said God speaks to him. And they in church every Sunday. You know, I don't know what y'all doing. But, but no, yes, you got to be able to hear from God. You got to be able to get a download from another world. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm out of time. Oh, my God, I told you I would run out of time before I run out of work. Get, let's stand all over the building. Come on, let's give God some praise. Oh, Jesus. Look at somebody say, Lord, I thank you for the Word. Come on, give God some praise for the Word. All right. Let's prophesy some stuff. Let's speak some stuff. Say, Lord, I thank you for the Word we have received over 2024. This is my season. This is my time. This is my turn. I set my gaze on the fixed purpose that you have for me. I, now, I shall not be moved. I shall not be swayed, neither to the left, neither to the right. 
My feet are bound. My, my gaze is fixed. I'm locked in. I'm laser focused. I'm walking this thing out. 2024 will be the best year of my life in every area, in every way, every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God some praise all over the building. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.